1: If he were alive, he'd be 95 years young today.
2: You are demanding that this city will respect
3: the dignity of
2: labor. So often, we overlook the work and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs, of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity. It has dignity, and it has worth. All labor has dignity. But you are doing another thing. You are reminding not only Memphis, But you are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. And you are demonstrating that we are all tied in a single garment of destiny, and that if one black person suffers, if one black person is down, we are all down.
1: I swear, I get goosebumps every time I play that clip here on the show and we have played it many, many times over the years. Martin Luther King speaking in support of striking sanitation workers, most of them black, all represented by AFSCME local 1733, the day before he was assassinated. And on that day, he also addressed a rally and delivered his I've been to the mountaintop address at the Mason Temple. King's flight to Memphis had been delayed by a bomb threat against his plane. In reference to the bomb threat, he said, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. Well, in his memory today, we are going to start off the show with Terry Melvin. Now, Terry is president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, and uh, the guy that preceded him in that union, President Emeritus Bill Lucy, actually worked with Dr. King in Memphis on behalf of AFSME and helped coin the slogan, I am a man. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the year of democracy, or as Terry calls it, the year of the devil. Elections from City Hall to the White House will decide if democracy survives and organized labor thrives. The coalition of black trade unions will be fully engaged, he says, in mobilizing union voters and black voters to elect pro- worker candidates. That's what it's all about. A little more background on Terry. He began his union career back in 1980 as a member of the Civil Service Employees Association Local 427. This was in western New York. He quickly rose through the ranks of the CSEA, a statewide union representing about 250,000 public and private sector workers throughout New York. He became the youngest local president. That was in December of 1983 when he was elected to lead local 427 at the age of 21. How about that? Since being elected secretary treasurer of the two and a half million member New York state AFL-CIO in 2007, Terry Melvin has championed the development of strong ties between labor, religious organizations, and community partners in the political arena. He worked continuously to increase voter registration, as well as to promote get-out-the-voter drives. He also was active in national, state, local, city, and school board elections. And after starting the Buffalo chapter of the Coalition of Black Trade Unions, Terry Melvin was elected in 1996 to be director of Region 1, which represents trade unionists in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Ontario, Canada, and in his acceptance remarks after taking the oath of office, he's been the president for about 12 years now of the Coalition of Black Trade Unions. The website, by the way, is cbtu.org. Terry warned in that speech the members don't fall into the trap of nostalgia or complacency. As he put it, we cannot rely on our golden legacy to protect our collective bargaining rights today. We must fight like hell now and again and again and again. I'd say this guy is a pistol. I love him. He's going to be our first guest on the show. Very, very appropriate for this special holiday here. Later in the show, we're going to check in with someone we had on the show some months back and his name is Zach Horn. Zach is a senior lecturer At the University of Massachusetts in Boston and he lives in Boston with his uh, wife and three children and he is an artist in fact here's his website it's zachhornart.com and uh, he is a fifth generation union member in fact he's gonna uh, talk about his grandmother his grandmother helped organize the Philadelphia public school teachers back in the 1960s and uh, I even kind of compare her a little bit to uh, MLK because she was a fighter and she ended up in jail, much like Dr. Martin Luther King. Not once, but a number of times. But uh, Zach has been involved in a couple of art projects. One of them is uh, United We Bargain, Divided We Beg. And this is all art in support of union rights. And it's kind of cool, too, because, you know, there's different ways to message labor's message and art could be one of those ways to do that. What we're primarily going to talk about is, uh, what happened and, in, uh, in Massachusetts and it's, uh, and I gotta give a shout out here to Teamsters local 25, they're based in Boston. Their general president there is, well, the local president is Tom Murray. And, um, a couple of months ago, the Teamsters unveiled The Arc of the Moral Universe, an art exhibit that honors labor unions in Massachusetts and the legacy of Dr. King. The exhibit was inspired by Dr. King's work in the labor movement and the recently ratified Teamsters contract covering more than 340,000 full and part-time workers across the country. And uh, Tom Mari, the president of the local said, you know, the UPS contract fight wasn't just about Teamsters. It was about all working people. It was about every worker standing up to corporate America and say, we deserve more. I'm thrilled to showcase this artwork so that all who pass through the hall will be reminded of the UPS contract campaign and how workers united to win an unprecedented contract will be the model moving forward for other unions. And we need to point out, too, in August of last year, the Teamsters ratified that contract, which for the first time, and they struggled to get this done, for the first time it designates MLK Day as a paid holiday. So uh, we're going to talk about that exhibit. And it was also displayed at the uh, Massachusetts General Assembly, the State House, as well. And uh, we'll see what's in store for Zach Horn in the future. Once again, this is a special holiday edition of America's Workforce. And I think it's very special, too, that uh, Dr. King would be 95 today. This holiday is one of several that fall on a specific Monday each and every year, thanks to what they call the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, signed by President Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1968. Now, the legislation to recognize MLK Day was initially introduced four days after King's assassination on April 4th, 1968. But, but it wasn't until November 2nd, 1983, after 15 years of activists campaigning for a holiday recognizing King and increasing public support with help from Stevie Wonder, the President Ronald Reagan signed the King Holiday Bill into law. And since then, the third Monday in January has been the federal holiday to commemorate the civil rights leader. Just a little background on this special day. And right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Terry Melvin, on behalf of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists.
0: This is America's Workforce.
3: It takes LIUNA to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of LIUNA, the Laborers' International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the side of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, LIUNA members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Iron
1: The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org.
0: This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more.
1: America's workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
4: We are the USW. We are the
0: USW. The United United Steelworkers, the largest industrial union in North America.
4: We represent eight hundred and fifty thousand members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and
0: and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers standing strong and fighting for what's right.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Farens
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, line number one. Welcome back to the show. We spoke with him once in uh, 2023. We got to talk more to this guy because he is one man on a move. No doubt about that. His name is Terry Melvin. He is president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, CBTU.org, and it's only appropriate today being Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. He would be, he would be if he wasn't assassinated back in 1968. He'd be 95 today, and this is his actual birthday, January 15th. And, uh, as I mentioned, Terry is joining us today. Terry is the second president of the coalition of black trade unionists. And the person before him, the guy that started the CBTU, Bill Lucy actually worked with Dr. King in Memphis on behalf of AFSME and helped coin the slogan, I am a man. Terry Melvin, it is an honor to have you on the show today. Let's let's go back and, and talk about Dr. Martin Luther King. And I, I I looked I looked you up here. Everything is on the on the web. You know that. You were uh, just uh, seven years old when he was assassinated in 1968. I, I would imagine that shaped who you are today. Can we talk about that first, Terry?
5: Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely, it is great to be here with you again. Uh, to be on on this special day of all days, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I have basically my life is enthroned around and thrown around Martin Luther King, what he stood for, uh, what he fought for. Uh, going back to my early days, understanding who Martin Luther King was when I was a child in school and hearing the stories about him. King was an icon back then, uh, dealing with issues that sad to say, man, we're still dealing with today. Mm -hmm. Um, King is somebody who I've studied and, and reviewed many of the speeches that he's given and have used many excerpts out of those speeches. When I'm going around the globe, uh, giving speeches today, we're still dealing with the poverty in the black community. We're still dealing with the rich versus the poor. We're still dealing with failing school systems because they're not being properly um, funded by, by government entities. Uh, we're still dealing with white supremacists. And, and back in the day, they had uh, hoods on their heads. Today, they're out because of uh, the orange man. They're out in public, proudly saying who they are. So many of the same issues that King dealt with in the 50s and 60s, Matt, we're still dealing with today.
1: Now, I know you spent time over the weekend in Montgomery, Alabama, and I know you've been to these conferences before. This one was a little bit different. Well, I should say a lot different because, and we talked to Fred Redmond. I know you know Fred really well. Fred, the Secretary of Treasury, the AFL-CIO, he pretty oh, yeah. much put it bluntly democracy is on the ballot this year. Can you, uh, can you reference that for our listeners, Terry?
5: I can ab- absolutely, man. It, the, the democracy, when we look at what is going on in our country today, um, when the previous president, 45, and I don't like to mention his name uh, because I don't want to give him any airtime at any time, when, when he was in office for four years, it set this country back at least two decades. Uh, and what we have on the line is he has said that if he becomes president, he's going to change us from a democracy to a dictatorship. He's going to take powers that never was given to the president uh, before in this country and just do what he wants to do with them. He's going to make himself more richer. As we found out while he was in office, while he claimed he was trying to take care of other people, we are finding out now by uh studies that was done and research that was done that he put millions of dollars in his pockets from foreign governments now look man they didn't give him that money just cuz he was a nice guy because he wasn't they gave him that money because they were buying something from him we just haven't figured out what he was selling uh, and and if he comes in back into office uh we're going to be in a predicament where we're going to lose everything that we have gained back in the last three years under the Biden-Harris administration, which, let me say, this has been the most uh, pro-labor administration that we have ever had in my lifetime, and I would dare say in the 200-plus years of this country. Additionally, this president and this administration has done more for the black community more for the black community than any other sitting president in, in these United States of America. So when we say that democracy is on the line on the ballot, it is definitely on the ballot. Do we want to have a society where the, 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 the citizens determine who's going to represent them in power? Or do we want to turn this country into a mere dictatorship? which is what is seriously on the ballot this November.
1: Terry, I, I hear what you're saying about Biden, but I, I wonder why that's not connecting with workers and more importantly, voters. And I'm talking union members too, because there's a lot of union members that are, that are not on Biden's side. They're on number 45 side. I, I'm, I'd like to know your take on that. What, what's your explanation for what's going on?
5: Well, Well, let me say there's, there's two, there's two issues here. One is that we, uh, in the progressive movement have not really gotten out into our community, nor has those, uh, politicians that have been helping Biden and passing these, uh, the legislation, uh, the progressive legislation have gotten back into their communities and, and, and touted the things that they have done. I mean, black unemployment is at the lowest level, ever in this country's history, Mm -hmm. ever. We have never had a president say, I've got a a $2 trillion infrastructure plan and 40% of it must go to minorities. We've never had that done, but that is what's out there. And this is what he's doing. He is fighting tooth and nail to give relief for uh, student uh, loans that uh, many of our black and brown children have and they're, they're coming out of college with a, uh, a mortgage, which they call a student loan, which n- will never let them catch up to the other children that are coming out of college without any bills. So he is trying to deal with these things. So that's the first part about it. I mean, he we have not really got the message out to our uh, community, which is something that we are going to be earnestly working at over the next eight, nine months, uh, to get the message out of the work that has been done. The second part is, look, we've got somewhere between 25 and 30% of union members that are staunch Republicans, staunch conservatives. And Mm -hmm. no matter what we do, they are going to vote against their own interests. Very active, believe in the union movement, but will vote against their very interests because of the hour behind their political name. And, 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 and there's the, that group of people that 25, 30%, we are never going to change. We are never going to change. So we, it, it's about messaging and it's about understanding who you can get to go in the right direction and work with those individuals and that 25 or 30% you listen to them. So you understand where they're coming from. But let me tell you, you have to accept that there's some people that's just not going to see things your way.
1: I hear you. So for the, for the ones you can convince, can you be specific on, on how you're going to get that messaging out? And I bring this question up and you know, the media landscape today, especially with social media, uh, broadcasting is diluted. It's nowhere near what it used to be with TV and radio. There's a lot of disinformation out there. How do you how do you think you're going to approach this, Terry, going into uh, November?
5: Well, you know, we have uh, consistently we are consistently stressing the urgency of preparing now, today, to win in November to protect the democratic democratic freedoms our ancestors sacrificed their lives for. We we refuse to bow to the permissive climate of repression stroked by white supremacy from voter suppression to political violence to book banning to outright corruption. You you know, uh, no drive-by outreach in the final weeks before the election, no expensive polls to find out white swing voters ain't on the fence anymore. This is what we're doing now. We are instigating right now, working right now with our chapters around the United States. We are assessing and making the clear connection between the White House, the uh, the, the uh, Senate, the House of Representatives, the towns, the villages, and the state houses. It's not just the top. But it is all the way down the ballot that we have to get people involved in understanding. So we are analyzing what issues are happening on the ground level right now. We are talking with our chapters about what things in their community that are going on. So we can now then make the connection between what's happening on Main Street and what's happening in Washington, D.C., and how they connect with each other. And also start the education process now of what is different today than it was when the Biden-Harris administration went into office. Where have we come from at that time to where we are now? And then also draw the comparison between what could have happened that did not happen. The mm-hmm. trajectory of where our country was going at the end of 45's term. Uh, was on a downhill spiral. And we've got to make people understand that there was a pause put in place with the Biden-Harris administration, and there was some upward mobility. But if, if 45 gets back into office, it's gonna be a downward spiral again. So we're, right now, our first quarter, we're assessing and planning. Starting in the second quarter, starting April 1, it is boots on the ground all across this country in every neighborhood where we have chapters that are gonna be going out to educate, motivate, and, and get folks ready for the election that is coming up. And I want you to know, we're not looking at this as just November 2024. We are building a strong infrastructure Within all of these communities that when this election is over, we are going to continue to hold those same politicians that we get elected accountable and meet with them on a regular basis to make sure they are doing what they committed to do when we supported them in elections.
1: Boy, do I love talking to this guy. Terry Melvin joining us on our live line today. He is president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. Do check out their national website, cbtu.org. One thing that Terry is going to talk about in the next segment is the largest gathering of black workers in the United States. And it's going to take place in houston this may that story coming up next don't go away you're
0: listening to america's workforce with ed flash ferens
3: it takes line to power north america with affordable energy That's org.
1: Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT.
3: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwaterson.com.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Ferencz with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming, and thank you for listening to America's Workforce. We had a banner year last year, 25% increase over 2022, and we're now in the top 1% of all podcasts, and we appreciate the good guests that we bring to you as a listener, and one of them is on line number one right now, and that's uh, Terry Melvin who is the president of the coalition of black trade unionists website is cbtu.org Terry has held that position for uh, 12 years now the coalition started back in uh, 1972 under the direction of Bill Lucy Bill Lucy has since passed on and Terry boy I tell you he hit the ground running you know uh, before we talk about that convention coming up this May in Houston just to kind of a recap the, the coalition and uh, how last year was and what you see for this year. Terry, as you know, last year was an interesting year for labor. It was a great year for labor. There's a lot of union brothers and sisters that walked away with some pretty nice raises. Double-digit increases, I might add. You got the Teamsters, the UAW. You got my union, SAG-AFTRA, the Writers Guild, healthcare workers out west. Uh, what about what about your group over there the coalition of black trade unionists how are we faring right now brother
5: Well uh look we are doing uh excellent uh as you know the the coalition of black trade unionists is black unionists from all the different unions so all the unions that you mentioned are under the umbrella of CBTU and and we uh we work with all of them as they were going through those struggles that are going on uh, with the contract, uh, fights that was going on. We were out there supporting and working with them, giving us, uh, whatever help that we could give, uh, to their battle, uh, speaking at their, uh, events that they were having, making sure that they had the support, uh, within our community, uh, our full community, because we don't have the luxury as a coalition of black trade union that to just be looking at one part of the union movement. We have to look at the collective movement, the public sector, the private sector, the building trades, the service sector, the healthcare sector, the education sector. We have members in all of those sectors and we stand with them as they go through their fight uh, with management uh, throughout the year. And yes, we did have a banner year it was a tough year for workers, but it was the end result was workers stood up for their rights and they were uh, given what they were due, uh, in last year's negotiations. Each one of them held out for the best for their membership. And I believe that we had the best contract contract, uh, ratification year than we've had in quite some time. Uh, one, uh, correction, uh, when you talked about uh, CBTU uh, and our founding, if I just could take one moment to talk about why CBTU was created. Uh, in 1972, the labor movement as a whole had decided that they were not, they, they were going to stay neutral in the presidential race with Nixon and McGovern. And okay. black trade unionists were incensed at the time that how could our movement that we pay dues to n- to not take a position when Nixon had been so anti-black, anti-poor, anti-worker in everything that he had done. Uh, and Bill Lucy and a few others called together, there were five of them called together, uh, a meeting of black unionists to come together and talk about this issue. How do we hold the movement accountable? And that is how the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists came into, uh, fruition. There was a meeting called in September of 72, uh, built and the company thought that they would get about 250. There was 1800 people that showed up for this meeting. Uh, wow. they showed up, they decided that not only will we have a say, uh, in who the labor movement is going to be in endorsing and particularly if it's somebody that is for or against us, uh, that we will, uh, educate, Black workers on how to move up within their own union movement. That there would be a bridge that CBTU would make between the black community and the labor movement to educate them. Uh, and Bill Lucy, as our founding uh, father of, of CBTU and uh, now president emeritus, he has. We just celebrated just uh, a couple weeks ago his ninetieth birthday. He is live and well and and still has the same wit about him. I, I meet with him at least uh, on a, a, a person in person once or twice a month to just glean what I can uh, from him while he is still with us. So th- that's why we were created. And we were antagonistic within the labor movement for quite some time until they understood uh, our role, that we needed to be at the table. And, and in today's society, it is more prevalent than it has ever been uh, that the constituency groups of the AFL-CIO play a, a pivotal role in all the work done by the national labor movement.
1: Well, Bill Lucy has got to be pretty proud of you, Mr. Terry Melvin, for what you were able to accomplish and pick up the torch that, that, he, that he lit back in uh, 1972. And it's good to know that uh, you, uh, you celebrated his 90th birthday. Recently. In fact, that was just last month. So yeah, that, that, what a history there. And thank you. Thank you for, uh, for bringing that up and sharing that with our listeners. So let's, let's look forward to May here. And I'm reading about this international convention that's going to take place in Houston, Texas for the uh, 53rd international convention of the coalition of black trade unionists. Talk to me about it. I'm, I'm sure you're pretty excited. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of work that's going into this, but maybe you can share what the theme is going to be about coming up in May. Go ahead.
5: Look, we're expecting more than 1,300 trade unionists uh, to come from around the, the U.S., Canada, uh, and even from the mother continent of Africa to join us in this. Our theme this year is Never Back, Always Forward, Hate Cannot Erase Us. We are coming on fire this year as we come together in May. As I said earlier, we're going to start our outreach uh, early on in, in April to start moving our overall agenda. Uh, this year's convention will be even more important because the critical election uh, in the fall demand that we come together, plan together, and to act together when we leave Houston. It's not about what we do at the convention, it's what we take away from the convention. We're going to have workshops and town halls. We will uh, key, feature key leaders in Congress and allies from other organizations. CBTU conventions always warm the heart and feed the mind while leading to concrete action back home. I'm very excited about our convention in Houston because it will be the launching pad for the most effective, sustained, and critical Get Out the Vote campaign in CBTU's history. We will leave Houston on fire, ready to go home, kick butt, ready to go home and get folks educated, ready to go home and get folks motivated, ready to go home and uh, get to our barbershops, our beauty shops, our churches, our mosques our street corners, wherever we can find people, to let them know how critical this election in November will be and to get them the information they need. We, The theme of never back, always forward, hate cannot and will not erase us is going to permeate when we leave Houston all the way through the November election. We cannot and will not be erased. We will take our rightful place in this country that our ancestors built on their backs for nothing, I might add. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do I mean, we're going to be on fire at the convention. Uh, We're going to set the tone that when we leave there, everybody's going to be working hard to make this uh, a successful election season.
1: We should point out that Terry Melvin, who is the president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, is an ordained Baptist minister, much like Dr. Martin Luther King was. I I feel like you're channeling him
5: right now. I'm getting that (laughs) feeling, Terry. Yeah, sometimes I feel that myself. As I said earlier, I mean, I have studied Dr. King uh, at the works that his speeches that he has given the work that he did as a very young man, he was so impactful. That's why we have this holiday that we're celebrating today. Um, because of his impact, not just on the black community, but on this country as a whole and whatever I can do to lift up the work that he started in the fifties and sixties, I am so proud to stand in his shoes.
1: You know, there's one thing that Dr. King preached, and that is labor rights and civil rights are intertwined. It's so important that it was we wrap up this discussion to get that message out there, because you think about the, what, what Dr. King went through, the protests, the beatings. Oh, my God. Uh, jailed. Jailed in, what was it? Birmingham. And they said he was driving with the wrong license, and the guy was in the back seat. I mean, this is what he went through. It was crazy. And then you fast forward to the Johnson administration. We had voting rights. We had civil rights. We had a lot of stuff that happened, good things that happened for all Americans. And over the years, boy, it seems like that just got chipped away. So to your point, this is a really, really important year for everybody, white, black. It doesn't matter what color you are. And I like what you said too. In some of the talking points, it's the year of democracy or the year of the devil. You're going as far as saying that, right, Terry?
5: Absolutely, absolutely, definitely. That and that's what this is all about. It, 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 this is a fight for for this country. It's not just a, a fight for black workers. It's not a fight for white. It is a fight for the for the whole soul of this country that we call the United States of America. It is a fight for this experiment that was started just a little over 200 years ago called a democracy in this country. We keep tinkering with it and we keep trying to make it better, but if we don't fight with everything that we have this year, we could lose this experiment and we could go back to a dictatorship.
1: Terry Melvin, thank you so much for joining us on this special day in American history, the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King, who would be 95 today. Boy, I, I, I hate to think what he would think of America right now, but uh, we'll leave that for another discussion.
5: If he had not been assassinated, we would be in a better place today.
1: Yeah, I would hope so. I think we all hope so. CBTU.org is a national website. You take care have fun at that uh, that convention. You know what? Let's let's uh, link up after that convention in Houston and talk about what you were able to accomplish there. Can we do that,
5: Terry? Definitely. Just give me a call and let me know, and I'll be sure to get on with you.
1: All right. You take care. Terry Melvin, president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, right here on America's Workforce. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Zach Horn and Arniss, talking about the Arc of the Moral Universe, an art exhibit honoring Dr. Martin Luther King. Back in a few minutes. This
0: is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
3: It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers' International Union of North America, Delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L I U N A.org.
1: Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 2 America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at Ironworkers.org.
3: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Waterson Asset Management LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org.
0: Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections.
1: America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Farrins.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a. WF union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org is a website. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation, will be joining us tomorrow. Right now, let's go to uh, line number two and joining us from Boston is Zach Horn. Zach is an artist. More than that, he is a labor-friendly, a union-friendly artist. Had him on the show a couple of months ago when the Teamsters Local 25, which is located in Boston, unveiled the Arc of the Moral Universe, an exhibit that honors labor unions in Massachusetts and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Had he not been assassinated, Dr. King would be 95 today. Zach Horn, welcome back to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. And, uh, you know, I was reading your bio again, and oddly enough, your grandmother, Bernice, she had a lot in common with Dr. King. L- let's go back to that time, uh, 1960s. She tried to organize the Philadelphia public school teachers. Let's start right there, and we can we can work our way to the exhibit that was recently unveiled at Local 25. Go ahead, my brother.
4: Thanks, Ed. Yeah. So um, yeah, they were involved uh, trying to organize the Philadelphia public school teachers, um, and uh, There was a a work stoppage that she knew was going to be problematic, and she knew that uh, if they went to uh, a protest, that there was a good chance they would get arrested. And there had been all this um, intimidation of the protesters that she uh, told me about leading up to that point. I remember she said that they would uh, drive by slowly, like sort of a watch car, and start taking pictures of the people just as like an intimidation tactic. Mm hmm and uh, she knew finally this was going to reach a head, so um, they uh, they planned on on going and protesting anyway, with the expectation that they would uh, end up in lockup. And she spent a night in jail, then, right? Yeah, she sure did. i I think she would, I think she would be a little bit. She would feel humbled by by the comparison to MLK. I mean, she's she's never a grandstander like that. She was very humble and just thought it was part of what she had to do, and thought that. Um, union rights and teachers' rights are a matter of uh, expected fairness. And uh-huh. didn't see it as, like, something extraordinary to demand kind of an equal say in employment contracts. But it, didn't, it felt, like, like, obvious, like, of course unions should, should have an equal say. And yeah. um, well, she never explained it to be something extraordinary, just sort of ordinary courage, I think.
1: Right, right. It was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do, you know, and it's interesting to note too. I mean, we're going back to 1965 here, uh, the uh, Philadelphia Federation of Teachers finally won official recognition and exclusive bargaining rights and their membership jumped from 500. This was in nineteen one to 11,000 in 1965. <laughs> so she, she's definitely on the, on the right side there. And she made history and obviously, uh, your family, very, very much involved in unions, and we should give a website here. It's uh, ZachHorneArt.com, Zachhornart.com. When did you decide to get involved in, um, in using art? And I want to I work up to this uh, exhibit, the Arc of the Moral Universe exhibit. When did you decide that this is probably a good way to showcase people? and unions. Can you speak to that?
4: Yeah, so in uh, in 2016 um, was when I first started thinking about doing it. Um, a few things happened that were sort of a confluence of events. Um, one was my next-door neighbor Jimmy, uh, who's a member of the IBEW Local 2222 as uh, a Verizon worker and he was locked out over that summer for seven weeks. And I found the whole situation like infuriating that this company who's earning something like $12 billion a month decided that they couldn't pay their workers. And as an artist, it felt you know, like maybe this was something I could do to lend some support to you know, show these workers in a, in a humanizing way. And actually speaking of my grandmother, at the same time she got sick, um, she passed away, I, I guess it's maybe three, four years ago now, of lymphoma. And that was, like, right when she got diagnosed. And I think, if I'm being honest, part of the reason that I originally wanted to have that, that exhibition, the first one at the Commonwealth Museum, was um, both to lend support to Jimmy but also as a way of honoring my grandmother.
1: Mm-hmm. So how did the uh, exhibit, The Arc of the Moral Universe, happen at Teamsters Local 5, 25 in Boston? How did that come about?
4: Yeah, it happened in um, in two steps. So um, I first started working with um, Senator Paul Feeney from the Massachusetts State House about having an exhibition in honor of, worker, in honor of workers there. And um, so it was this. He was also a member of the IBW, and and I had known him back before he he went into politics. And uh, I was reading sort of about what the IBW, I'm sorry, what the Teamsters were gonna have to go through in coming up over that summer, you negotiate this new contract, and they were were amazing about it. They were like practicing walkouts, and they were asserting strength, and they had this new radical leadership uh, who was um, strong. And it felt like this really like anticipatory way of like promoting what they were about to go through. And I wasn't sure at the time if it was going to be either, you know, like a protest show, right, if they were not going to get the contract and they were going to be on strike and this would have to be, like, in support of what they were going through, or if the show was going to be, like, a celebration, this uh, victory show that they had gotten this, you know, great new contract and we could finally, you know, have a sigh of relief. So, mercifully, the show ended up being the latter, where they got a new contract, they, they negotiated, and... It was a, a huge victory for them, and and I think for all of labor actually. And the show went so well, and they were so happy with you know, being tied in with um with Dr. King and and his words, that they decided they wanted to keep the show. So even though the exhibition at the State House here in Massachusetts was only going to be like about two weeks, they wanted to bring it in and put it on permanent display in their Union Hall. So the show at the Union Hall, um, it's a little bit reformulated, like. Uh, has to hang a little bit differently, but we ended up bringing all the artwork there so they could have, you know, the pictures and the the inspirational quotes uh, on permanent display.
1: It's uh, interesting to note, too, because in August of last year, the Teamsters ratified that uh, UPS contract, which designates... Which designates MLK Day as a paid holiday for the first time. That was a struggle. That was a struggle. So it's all come together. All come together. Now, now, now that time first, it was your 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 uh, exhibit was unveiled at the Massachusetts. What was it? The State House? And you said it was only for two weeks. How was it received there when it was when it was first displayed?
4: I think beautifully. Uh, you know, we had a great event where where. Um this senator, uh, Senator Feeney, who's one of the uh, strongest voices for union rights in the state of Massachusetts, um, you know, brought in a lot of the people. Uh, a lot of the, the union leaders from Massachusetts came, and we had this event where um, President Mary from the Teamsters spoke, uh, Senator Feeney spoke, I spoke briefly. And it's just a you know, it's a chance to celebrate union rights and and a union victory. Um, I think that's um, about all I could have hoped for, right? Right. And um, right. The, the other thing that I loved was for the union members themselves, for the Teamsters to kind of see their own face, you know, in, the, in this incredibly public way as a as a vote of support. It's a, a sign that, that um, they were seen.
1: And now it's in the Teamsters Hall, and it's going to stay there for, I guess,
4: an undetermined amount of time? <laughs> well, I made it on cardboard, so it'll last as long as it lasts. <laughs> okay, okay
1: well that's cool so what's next for you i mean obviously you're you're on a roll here you're getting some recognition um any paintings here that you're uh or displays that you're working on right now you want to call attention to
4: yeah so uh two things coming up uh both international one is at um the technical museum in slovenia that's coming up i think in february and the other one is at um, the Workers' Museum in Finland that's in June. And both of those museums are kind of encyclopedias of what work is like. And what these historical museums, I think, are missing is a contemporary story of, of what work like work is like now and what what it's like to be part of a union. And so part of what I'm trying to provide those, those museums with is a, a final coda, this update that says, here's what it's like to work today and this is what it's like to be a working person today
1: well zach there's many ways to display what unions are all about what they do what they want to do and art is certainly one way to accomplish that so i thank you for uh, coming to the show today and talking about the arc of the moral universe especially on the special holiday dr martin luther king's birthday zach horn art.com is the website zach you want to check that out that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce, coming up tomorrow, the latest from the Ohio Federation of Teachers and California Representative Ro Khanna. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.